following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. All right. Well, good morning, church, again. Um, I'm not gonna, I was about to introduce, my, introduce myself, but there's no need for that. Uh, if you're new or you're joining us, uh, I want to extend a, a warm welcome again to you. Uh, you've come at a good time. Um, we're starting a, a, a new series, a new sermon series un, entitled Unboxing Jesus. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at Jesus himself as being the, uh, the greatest present or, or God's gift to us. And over the next sort of four weeks, we're going to consider how Jesus is not only the greatest uh, or the, the, the gift we truly need, but the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're actually going to um, start by looking at what led up to that time, what led up to uh, the, the, the first Christmas, as it were. We're looking at the preparation for the gift, what came before, how God slowly revealed his, um, the, the fact that the Messiah would come, which is what we celebrate at Christmas. Uh, and to kick us off, I'm going to start with this illustration, which I hope will be helpful to understand sort of what we're doing um, over the, the next few minutes. Imagine for, for a moment you, you got a present. Maybe you've actually had this experience. Maybe you've caused this experience for someone else. But think of a time where you get a present that's probably as big as this box down here. It's huge. And it's wrapped up. And like, wow, that's great. So you, you open it up and um, you unwrap it. You open, open the box and you see there's another box inside that's wrapped. It's a bit smaller. It's a different sort of shape. Um, but it's a little bit smaller, so okay, okay, you take it out, and you unwrap that, and you take it out of the box, and it's now a little package that's inside. It's one of those Australia Post padded package, um, and you're like, okay, well, this is very different to the big box that I opened. And it goes on and goes on. Maybe you have five, six, seven rounds of that, and then with each layer that's revealed, you get a, a little bit of a clearer sense of what the present might be. And in much the same way, throughout the Old Testament, from starting from Genesis all the way through to Malachi, God reveals piece by piece his plan to send a Messiah. What starts as something that seems a little bit um, unclear or a little bit uh, mysterious becomes clearer and clearer as we read through the Old Testament. Um, and so this morning, we're going to be a little bit ambitious. We're going to try to go through and look at the different ways that God does that throughout the Old Testament and how that enhances our joy, how it enhances our understanding and our celebration of Christmas. Um, and so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to do two things, uh, just two. I know usually it's three. Um, I was telling Caitlin this yesterday, there's only two, and she was shocked. But I assured her that it was very misleading because each of these two points have three sub points. So there we go. There's a box in a box, even in the seven points. Uh, this morning, the two main things, look, two main points is firstly, uh, the promise of Jesus' arrival. We're looking how God tells and reveals his plan to send Jesus um, in the period that leads up, leads up to that first Christmas. And then we're looking at reasons for joy. Why is that a, a cause for hope? Why does that enhance um, our appreciation and celebration of Christmas? So the promise of Jesus' arrival and reasons for joy, and there are three sub-points in each. But let me pray, uh, and then we will dive into it. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to celebrate Christmas. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that you, we get to celebrate your faithfulness this year and bring us to this um, Advent season at the end of 2022, Father. And as we, I pray, Lord, as we look at what led up to the first Christmas, Lord, that you would open our hearts, that by your Spirit you would help us to see how you slowly but surely revealed your plan to send a Messiah. 
Lord, and I pray that as we look at that, as we look at what your word says and the different ways you did that, Lord God, that you would just beautify yourself in our hearts. Lord, that this, this uh, image or this understanding of Christmas and what you came to do would be enhanced in our hearts because we understand how it was planned from long ago and how you worked out your purposes and plans. And so we praise you and give this time into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so our first point this morning, we're looking at the promise of Jesus' arrival. And we're going to look at the ways, as I said, that God revealed his plan to send a Messiah. Remembering that Christmas is celebrating the birth of the promised Messiah, the anointed one. And so we're looking at how God revealed his plan to send that Savior into the world. And perhaps there's a couple of different things you could draw out, but we're going to look at three ways. Three ways that God did that throughout the Old Testament. Um, and so I'm going to suggest to you this morning that the three ways are firstly through hints, secondly through what you could call archetypes or patterns, and thirdly through prophecies, which we're perhaps a little bit more familiar with. So hints, archetypes, and messianic prophecies. And for each one, what we're going to do is we're going to read um, a passage um, or a verse that relates to each one, but I'm also going to give you a couple of others so you can take a photo or you can go home and um, have a look at it again so that it can um, stir your heart even more. So hints, archetypes, and messianic prophecies. So the first one, the first way that God reveals his plan to send a Messiah is through various hints that are dropped throughout the pages of the Old Testament. It's almost like little clues that, that God gives saying that the Messiah is coming, that there is coming a time where the, the Savior would come um, and we, we get a bit more uh, information about what that means. And it's things that you probably hear and go, oh, that's intriguing, but also a little bit unclear. And so you uh, may have asked clarifying questions. And the first one that we're going to look at, and probably one of the first in the Bible, is way back in Genesis 3. So if you have your Bibles, please open uh, to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, we are going to be looking at verse 15. Uh, and if you're not familiar with the story, the context of what's just happened is that God's created the world. Uh, and the world's perfect. There's no strife. Adam and Eve are in perfect unity. There's no sin or brokenness or anything in the world. Uh, and then along comes the enemy who uh, tempts Adam and Eve and they led astray and they sin. And in doing so, sin then enters the world. And in Genesis 3, we get the account of, of God pronouncing a curse or if you like a, a judgment or a reprimand on Adam and Eve and creation and also to the serpent. And listen to what it says in verse 15. He's speaking to the serpent here. He says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, you might read that and go, well, okay, it's a little bit, little bit unclear. Well, what does that mean? If you're hearing in the moment, it's perhaps a bit confusing, but many commentators will say that that's the first hint at God's plan to send a Messiah. The, God's, uh, the first gospel hint, if you like, in the Old Testament. See, what he's talking about is he talks about a, a, a seed coming of the woman, singular, a seed coming of the woman, which is ultimately points forward to Christ that we, we know because we get the, the full um, picture through Scripture. And he's pointing forward to the fact that Christ would come and he would have victory over sin and Satan, victory over sin and death. And in that moment, God drops a hint. He drops a hint that he's got a plan to fix what has just happened in, in uh, Genesis 2 and 3. He's got a plan to fix the brokenness that came in as a result of their disobedience. A plan to undo the damage done in the Garden of Eden. And throughout the Old Testament, we see a number of hints dropped through um, various points in, in the stories. For example, in, in Genesis uh, chapter 49, we get to the scene where Jacob is uh, pronouncing blessings onto his children. And he comes to Judah and he says to Judah, he says that the, the scepter will not depart from, Ju from Judah or the ruler's staff. Which again, many commentators talk about being the symbol of kingship. 
being the symbol of um, uh, the ruler, the monarch. And he says that it will not depart from until he, until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. And again, many commentators say that he's dropping a hint that there's going to come, a, ki- a king is coming, a king whose reign on the throne will be eternal, a descendant of Judah will, uh, will be the ultimate and the eternal king. And there's a host of other examples in the Old Testament where God drops hints like that, where he says, hey, there's something coming, there's a plan, there's a, there's a hope to look forward to on the horizon. But that's a little bit unclear sometimes. So then we get to what is probably the biggest point of these three, which I'm, I'm going to call archetypes or patterns or ways that we see a clear understanding of what God's going to do through the patterns and stories of the Old Testament. And so a couple of ways, turn with me if you have your Bibles to Genesis 22. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think it might have been Andrew, maybe it was someone else, we looked at the story of Abraham and, and Isaac and God's testing of, of Abraham, where he says to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your only son, Isaac, which is shocking because remember, at that time beforehand, God had promised that he would be the father of many nations and Abraham had to wait a number of years and finally gets Isaac and now God's saying, offer him as a sacrifice. And so in obedience, Abraham, he, he gives Isaac, uh, planks of wood to carry on his shoulder, and they go up the mountain. And this is what it says in verse 12 when Abraham was about to slay his son. He says, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. This is God speaking. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. You see, in this very real story, something that happened historically, there's a, hint, there's a, there's a, there's a foreshadowing of something greater that God was going to do. Because in order to save the boy here, God provided an innocent ram to be the substitute for the child. But a couple of thousand years later, there was another son who would carry wood up a hill. Jesus carrying the cross up the hill of Calvary, and there was no other substitute. He was the substitute. And God was revealing in that moment his, his plan one day to send his son to be the, substituting, uh, the substitute for us, to be the sacrificial uh, lamb, as it were, dying in the place for you and I. And we see that that pattern or that foreshadowing is present in many of the great stories of the Old Testament. We're going to go through a few very quickly. Take, for example, Noah's Ark. Genesis, I think, chapter 6, verse 9. In that story, we see that through the righteousness of one man, humanity was saved. When God's judgment came and he pronounced judgment on the people, because Noah was a righteous man and found favor in the eyes of God, him and his family were saved. Which ultimately points forward to Jesus, the ultimate righteous one, through whom, because of his righteousness, we can be saved and we can be spared the judgment of God. Or what about the Passover in Exodus 12? where God calls his people and he says, take a, the blood of an innocent, unblemished lamb and, and, and cover your doorposts with it so that when the angel of death comes, those inside your house will be spared. Again, that points forward to the ultimate, innocent, unblemished lamb of God whose blood would be shed on a wooden cross to cover the people who are in him. Or the story of the Exodus where we see God calling his people out of slavery, leading his people out of slavery to Pharaoh and in Egypt and into the promised land, which ultimately points forward to the work that Christ was going to do in leaving us out of slavery to sin and death into the promised land of eternal life. 
or David and Goliath, where we see the, the shepherd boy, David, kill this giant with one uh, swing of his sling, giving us a, a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do, Jesus was going to do the ultimate shepherd, giving, um, slaying the giant of sin and death with one sacrifice on the cross. Or lastly, there's plenty more, but on lastly, the book of Esther. We see the story of Esther where we see um, Esther who was faithful to God and she stood in the gap for her people at the risk of her life, pointing forward to Jesus, the ultimate faithful one who stood in the gap for his people at the cost of his life. That's the, what God does again and again and again through the very real stories of the Old Testament. He gives us more and more information about what this Messiah was going to do. The Messiah whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. Church, we see how amazing that is. That God revealed more and more about his plans through the very real stories of the Old Testament. And if that wasn't enough, then we get to the third one, messianic prophecies. If, if hints were the big box and, and the archetypes were the small box, now we're into the packaging. Because these are a little bit more direct. These are ones that we're more familiar with. We've looked at a couple, we looked at one last night um, at carols as well. And we're going to focus on a few that are particularly related to Christmas, although there's plenty relating to Jesus' life in general. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. This is what Isaiah says. He says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That's incredible stuff. The virgin was going to give birth? This is, this is a long way before Jesus was actually born. And God is saying, hey, here's a little bit more specifics for you. The virgin is going to give birth. And you're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. What an incredible prophecy that is. Or the one we looked at yesterday in Isaiah 9 verse 6 where it says that Jesus will be born as a child. And he will be called the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Or in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 where we're told that out of this little town called Bethlehem, the Messiah would be found. That's our first point this morning. God revealed his plan and pointed to his plan to send the Messiah, the Savior, into the world long before the first Christmas. The first Christmas wasn't something out of the blue. It was part of God's plan that was revealed from long ago. And he did that through hints, through archetypes or patterns, and through direct prophecies. But it begs the question then, what's the relevance for us? Why, why do, what does that mean for us? I mean, we live 2,000 years past the first Christmas. Surely we can look at the first Christmas and that's enough. Why does knowing what came before give us a, a deeper understanding or help us in any way today? And I want to suggest to us this morning that there are perhaps three ways that it can be of great assistance for us. And these three ways are firstly trust, hope, and then what I'm going to, I'm going to call share. And we'll get into them one by one. So the first one is trust. So often we, we see Christmas as this great big event, right? We see Christmas as this thing we celebrate every year. We celebrate that Jesus came in human form and how amazing that was for, for us and for, for, for God's people. But so often we miss the point of what led up to that. See, what happened between Genesis and Malachi and then the first Christmas? Well, we see the people of God who receive the, the first hint way back in Genesis 3 go, go through all kinds of ups and downs. The people of God, they, they, they go to a season where they're, they're growing large and they're becoming this great nation and then they're enslaved in Egypt. And they're there for a couple of hundred years and then finally they're, they're being led out. And it's like, yes, that's awesome. We're out of slavery. And then they're wandering in the wilderness for a number of years. And then finally that ends and then they get to the promised land. You think it's all over 
and it's the ups and downs have settled down. And you see throughout the page of the Old Testament, we see that there are periods of prosperity and joy where they enjoy God's blessings, where they're fruitful, where they're, they're living in a land of peace. And other times where there's war, where there's pillaging, where they're taken into exile again and again. There's times where they're governed by good kings, good rulers who are faithful to God in what they do and they do justice. And other times where they're ruled by bad kings who are unfaithful, who are evil and wicked in what they do. Or what about from the period of the end of the Old Testament to when Jesus was born? There was about 400 odd years of silence where, where God was seemingly silent. That's three, four generations where they haven't heard the voice of God. They haven't heard God do the amazing things that they were told of that he's done in the past. Talk about the ups and downs of life. And yet what we see by tracing it through the Old Testament is that God who said he would do something is faithful to the end. He who promised it back in Genesis 3 brought it to fruition in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the first Christmas. Just this is compelling evidence that we can trust God. You know, in, in the line of work that I'm in, I'm, I work in an area of law where we work with people who, are, who have injuries and we're paying compensation and things like that. And one of the things that we have to do is look for what we call compelling evidence or look for evidence that's very clear that this person has a real injury or someone's done something wrong which has led to it. And when we find that compelling evidence, we have to advise our clients that, hey, there's really strong evidence here it's worth looking at. And in a similar way, this is compelling evidence. This is compelling evidence of the trustworthiness, the faithfulness of our God, because he who promised way back in Genesis 3, led his people all the way through the ups and downs of the Old Testament and brought to fruition what he promised long ago, namely the coming of the Messiah that we celebrate at the first Christmas. It reminds us that God is in control. The ups and downs of life, the things that many of us have been through, they don't have the last say. God who promised is faithful. He's in ultimate control. When he says something, he will see it to completion. And for many of us, maybe that's the struggle. Maybe this year, the past couple of years, I mean, this is the, the first Christmas that we're celebrating in a normal way, perhaps for a number of years. For many of us, we've been through the ups and downs in just two years alone. Maybe it's been considerable highs and lows. Maybe it's been a little bit less. But perhaps you're in that space this morning where you're wondering, can I trust God? Like the things he says, sometimes it, it can make us go, well, I don't know if I can trust that. I don't know if I can believe that. And we're, we're wrestling sometimes to trust what God says. If that's you, I want to encourage you to, as we approach Christmas over the next couple of weeks, to let Christmas serve as a reminder that God is a faithful God, that God is the God who promises and he brings it to pass through all the ups and downs of life, through sicknesses, through deaths of loved ones, through lost jobs, through strife and turmoil. He's the God that brings it right through to the end. He's a God that we can trust because he's a God that's faithful. Secondly, I want to suggest to us this morning that this gives us great cause for hope, just as it did to the people of Israel back then. You know, so often we talk about Christmas as being a season of hope, right? Or we talk about the, the hope of the season or the reason for the season. And I don't know about you, but people tend to be a little bit cheerier, a little bit happier, a little bit more hopeful at this time of year. And it's true because Christmas is a sign that light has come, that hope has arrived, that there is a hope for the world. You know, I don't, if you know me, I, I don't like getting up super early. I, I like to call myself a morning person, but I don't get up super early. And so seeing the sunrise is, is a real mission and a half, right? And yes, thank you, Christian. And if there's the few occasions I've made it to the sunrise, it's very, very rare that I'll make it for first light. But on the rare occasions I've made it for first light, usually because I've been there the whole night, 
it's such an amazing sight. You look out usually over the ocean, it's, it's pitch black, it's dark, and then over time, slowly but surely, the light comes up. And you see the beautiful colors and you, you can't help but smile because it's such a beautiful sight to behold. And in much the same way, first, the first Christmas dawned as a, as a season of light coming into the world. It dawned following a season of incredible darkness for the people of God. Remember, 400 years of nothing. Thousands of years from when God first promised or alluded to the coming of the Savior and he hadn't come. And then out of nowhere comes the, prof- comes the, the announcement that the, the version was with child. Finally, the promised Messiah had come. Finally, the, the, the promise of God to bring the Messiah into the world was finally about to be realized. And the sad reality is that many of the people of God, uh, the Israelites, didn't see it for what it was, but we get the benefit of seeing it this side of the first Christmas. We get to see the beauty of that event because we see God coming in, in human form born in a manger, raised by human earthly parents. We see the the fact that the first Christmas led ultimately to Easter, where he would complete his work as the Messiah, as it were, to die on the cross as our sacrifice, as our substitute, to pay the price for our sins. We get to see the fullness of the ministry of Christ, and so we know that Christmas is a celebration of that start. Christmas is a, is a celebration that, hey, the hope of the gospel, the hope that we have now eternal life is, is, is true and real because Christ came. Because of that first Christmas, which led to that Easter, we can have hope. And again, for many of us, maybe you're in a season where it's been really dark, where you haven't heard from God, or you're, you're really struggling with your faith. Again, let Christmas be a reassurance that hope is here, that light has come. Because Christ, when he came, came to be your sacrifice. And he welcomed you into his arms as a result. So that's our second one. We have God is a God that we can trust. Christmas is a sign of hope. But also we're going to talk about it being a reason to share. And I'm going to use that in two ways. Share is in share in and share is in share to those around us. So firstly, sharing by, by taking a step back, right? By taking a step back and looking at what came before, we see something a little bit greater. We see something a little bit bigger. We see that Christmas was not just an event for one time. It was part, it was the climax or Jesus' birth and death and resurrection was the climactic point of a great plan that God was unraveling. A great plan that is still ongoing. Because just like the people of Israel waited in hope for the first coming of the Messiah, we wait in hope for the second coming. And we wait in hope knowing that because of what Christ came, because he was born in a manger, because he was our perfect substitute and died the death we should have died, we can have hope that when he comes again, not as a baby, but as the triumphant king, we will be with him in that number. We will be able to go into the, the eternal rest that he offers. And we have an opportunity to, to be a part of the work that God is doing. See, in the Old Testament, the prophets and, and the people of God, they looked forward to and they pointed forward to the coming of Christ. For us as Christians, we get the opportunity to reflect back on, to tell people around us and say, hey, this is something that's already happened. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is why we celebrate Christmas and Easter. This is the good news and the hope that the gospel offers. We have the opportunity to be part of what God is doing and taking that good news to the ends of the earth so that when he comes again, not as a baby, but as a king, we will be in that number and so will many of us around us. And so I want to encourage us this morning as we come to a close, maybe if Tim wants to jump up. As we come to a close, I want to encourage us to think about that. 
Think about how we might participate in the work that God is doing in this world. You know, we, we've talked about different ways that God foretold the coming of the Messiah. How might you share that? Maybe it is through direct prophetic-like sayings where you tell people, hey, this is what has happened, and you declare it boldly. But maybe it's like what Samuel talked about. Maybe it's through the patterns of your behavior. Maybe it's through the, um, the, the way you incarnate the love of Christ to people around us. And so as we come to a, a close, I want to encourage you to, to take a moment just to think about that. Think about how God might want to use you, how God might want to encourage you or uh, use you as part of the work he's doing in the world today. And particularly at this season of Christmas where many people are hopeful, they're cheery, but they don't really know why. Or they don't really know the ultimate hope. They don't really know that we can ultimately trust this God who came in a manger because we know the fullest story. So why don't we take a moment just to bow our heads and to, to, to come before God and, and consider this. Consider how we might use you. Or maybe come before God and, and ask Him for His help. Help to trust. Help to hold on to that hope. Father God, we, Lord, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you that you are a God who's unfolded and unfolding your great plan of redemption. We thank you that you are drawing a people to yourself. And we thank you that you are a God who's in control of it all. Father, we, we, we want to ask, Lord, that this, in this season of Advent, that you would help us to remember and to be reassured in the trust that we can have in you to know that, Lord, you are a God who sees things through to the end. You are the God who promises and brings it to fruition. And Christmas is one of the ultimate examples of that. Father, we pray for anyone here who's needing extra hope, who maybe feels like they've been in a season of darkness, who feels as though perhaps life has been really chaotic at the moment or a bit of a roller coaster, up and down, just like the people of Israel. Father, we ask that by your spirit that the light of hope will burst into their hearts. Lord, that as we celebrate Christmas, we think more over the next couple of weeks on you as the greatest gift we could ever receive. I pray that that hope, that joy would just burst forth in our hearts. And Lord, help us to consider how we might be used by you in sharing that. To think about those around us in our workplaces or in our schools or universities, or in our friend circles, how we might be your representatives, your, uh, I guess, ambassadors of hope, as it were. Lord, to bring and to share and to encourage people in this lead up to Christmas, Father. We thank you ultimately for sending your son. Thank you that, Father, you did not withhold your son, but you sent your son into this earth to be our, to be our substitute, to be the sacrifice for us. And Father, I pray for each and every heart here, Lord, that you will just help us to cherish that all the more. Lord, that you will beautify the reality of that in our hearts. Lord, and that we would be a people that love you all the more because of it. Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.